break out your wireframes and heat up those Git repos. We're ready to tackle topics ranging from accessibility to front-end design, user experience, and beyond. You're listening to the Drunken UX Podcast with your hosts, Michael Feenan and Aaron Hill. Hello, everybody. I am your host, Michael Feenan, and you are listening to the Drunken UX Podcast. This is episode number 120 for August 1st, 2022. We're going to be talking in this episode about how to get into Google Tag Manager, what it can do for you, and how it's useful for your websites. You might have noticed something a little different about the way we're kicking off this show, and I'm by myself. Um, Aaron is busy this week and weekend. They are getting ready to launch a brand new Kickstarter. And if you want to learn more about it, go check out stillfleet.com. Stillfleet is a brand new role-playing game that they are getting ready to launch. It's a grim, dark, tax-punk, politically charged tabletop role-playing game set in space far into the ruinous future. They use a unique and highly flexible rule system where players can explore ruined spacecraft as well as Earth-like planets that have been cut off from Terra for centuries. Go check them out. I'm going to have links to Stillfleet.com and their Kickstarter in our show notes. You can go be a backer if that is your kind of game, and I definitely recommend you stop by and check out what it is that they are building. If you want to help us out, you can become a backer or a pledger, a, a donator to the show if you go to drunkenux.com slash support. Go back us on Patreon. Any amount from $1 to $1,000. Please don't give me $1,000. That is a little bit crazy. But whatever you feel comfortable with, we'll send you some coasters, some stickers. We'll get, get you access to exclusive content, longer interviews, and that kind of stuff. Plus, we are working our way towards funding fully human transcripts for the show. Let's see. What else? This is a, a harried moment for me because I'm kind of flying without a net, so to speak. Um, I'm drinking... Coca-Cola today. Uh, not just any Coca-Cola, but I am drinking Coca-Cola with Bacardi Superior and a little rum and coke. Uh, fancy way of me saying that. Um, I don't think there's anything to really tell you about it. It's a rum and coke. There aren't really any tasting notes. It's rum and, and coke. Anyway, uh, that's what I'm going to be doing today for the most part. Um, also, be sure to check us out on social media if that is your thing. You can follow the podcast on Twitter or Facebook at slash Drunken UX. You can also check us out on Instagram at slash Drunken UX Podcast. As already mentioned, you can support us on DrunkenUX.com slash support over at our Patreon. And if you ever want to chat with us, well, hey, that's cool, too. You can come over to DrunkenUX.com slash Discord. That'll drop you right into our chat or... Hit us up on our new voicemail number and leave us a question, a comment, a thought, anything you want. Just give us a call at 620-712-2119 and leave us whatever you like there. If it's feedback, we will listen to it and take it in and see if we can do something. Tell us about a show idea you have or something you want to see or ask us a question and we can answer it on air in a future episode. As for everything else... I want to talk about Google Tag Manager, and I feel bad that I've taken this long to get to it. In the back of my head, I think maybe I already thought we had talked about this, and I know we've, of course, mentioned Tag Manager many times, but uh, going back through my, my list, I noticed we hadn't actually devoted a whole episode to it. So I thought it'd be fun to sit down and kind of explain this. This is a tool I highly recommend. It makes for really simple addition of scripts and, and interactions and stuff to a website, and it's incredibly powerful when you start breaking it down and looking at the feature set it has. 
over the last few years, Google has really evolved the tool set involved in it in such a way that there's almost no limit to what you can make it do. This makes it brilliant for everything from deploying cookie compliance solutions, GDPR type stuff, to including analytics, marketing code, and everything in between. On top of that, if you have a marketing department who's comfortable setting up their own tracking, you can even give them access to a tag manager uh, container and say, hey, go in there, put in your own stuff that you need to use, and I don't need to go through and edit our template. You don't have to make a request of the dev team or what have you. And you can still also retain review capabilities before pushing it live in case you want to go through and double-check that beforehand. The sky is the limit with this tool. If you have something just off the top of your head that you want to deploy, you can make it up. You can add your own events. You can add your own interactions and your own triggers and all the things that you need in order to see what it is that you want to see wherever you need it. So what does all of this mean? I'm going to give you sort of the introduction to this tool. I'm going to tell you how to do a few simple things, what different stuff is in the system. There is certainly a much higher ceiling than what we're going to go over, and that's fine. Like, I'm not going to get real heavy into environments or templates. Um, I'm not going to talk about importing and exporting containers, even though these are all very much things um, that you can do. We may touch on workspaces. We'll see how that goes. Um, I'm going to forewarn everybody. I mentioned I'm kind of flying without a net. This episode is very stream of conscious. Um, I was talking with Aaron about the Kickstarter and all of this, and I said, you know what? I'm just going to kind of see what happens for this episode. Um, so this is a very kind of new approach for me um, and, and certainly something new and different. So let me know if, if you like this approach, if you think we cover things all right. And if I repeat myself once or twice, don't hold it against me. I didn't write an outline for a change. So let's uh, let's get started on first things first. What is Tag Manager? Google Tag Manager is a system, as I've already described, by which you can manage something called tags. You might have gotten that clue from the name, which is Tag Manager. What's a tag? A tag is anything you want it to be. A tag is literally a piece of code that does something. Um, and maybe not raw code. It could be something that's already pre-configured in the system. It could be many different things. Think of it like sort of a a, a little piece of functionality. Maybe that's a good way to, to describe it. A tag is a piece of functionality that will happen when it is told to happen. There are three really core concepts to Tag Manager that you need to learn in order to use it effectively. You need to know what a tag is and what you can do with them. You also have to learn about triggers. Triggers are what fire a tag. It's literally when this happens, make that happen. Think cause and effect, right? The trigger causes a tag to fire. The third part are variables. And variables can be used throughout the entire system of Tag Manager. By using variables, you can do things like create one dynamic tag that is capable of sending forth any number of different maybe event labels. Or maybe you want to get something from a page, like the page title, or maybe the text of a button. 
And rather than making an individual tag for every instance of a text string or something like that, you can use a variable that can go out there and just get that dynamically. And so you only need one tag then that just includes that variable. And that variable can come in many, many forms. We'll talk about several of these as we go. In fact, I'm going to kind of work from the ground up on this. So go, here's the thing, go set up a Tag Manager account right now. Pause the show. You're sitting at your computer, maybe if you have a moment. Go sign into tagmanager.google.com and just set up an account and make your first uh, your first website in it. And it's going to ask you some questions. These questions are very straightforward um, and will include things like, what type of container is it? We're going to focus mainly on web containers, but you can also make them for iOS and Android apps. You can make specific containers for AMP pages. If you're still using AMP, please, I hope you're not still using AMP. And then you can also, and this will be one, we'll, we won't talk about this now, but one other type you can make is a server container. So you can track and, and control server-side behaviors in an application or things like that. That's more advanced functionality, so I'm not going to get deep into that right now. But... Pick the web container, give it a name. I usually just name mine after the domain that it's going to appear on. And then it's going to drop you into your first workspace. And it's going to have nothing in it. You're going to have a default workspace. You're going to have overviews. And you're going to see options in the left-hand menu for your tags and your triggers, your variables, etc. Um, by default, I'm going to, I'll, I'll kind of work down this menu, but in the order that builds on stuff. So the first thing to think about is your workspace. Free Tag Manager accounts get up to three workspaces, but you can get rid of them. So you can use them, make your changes, merge them into your main container, and then get rid of that workspace. You can, you know, wash and reuse them, basically. Workspaces are really good, especially if you are making several different changes and you want to keep them isolated until you merge them all in. Think of them a lot like a Git branch, actually. So you've got your main branch, and then you might have a staging branch, and then you might also have feature branches, and you slowly merge those up until release. That's a lot about how workspaces work. They're very similar. And while I mentioned I'm not going to go into environments in this discussion, environments can also play a part in that because you can set up development environments and staging environments that behave a little differently from a production environment. Environments combined with workspaces give you a ton of flexibility to make sure you don't release broken tags or broken triggers. But for the time being, workspaces will probably be your friend. If you're just doing this by yourself, you may never make a, a separate workspace for anything, and that's fine. If you're the lone person doing this, there probably won't be a lot of reason for that. But to give you an idea, one time I used workspaces in Tag Manager to isolate a, a discrete set of changes was for the deployment of cookie compliance tags for our EU websites. Those cookie tags were far-reaching. I needed to make different triggers for all the different types of cookies people could and couldn't accept. I needed to tie those to all the tags. I needed to make new tags for the uh, the cookie compliance banner. I had to make new variables with all the lookup tables for our site IDs and things like that. And so I made a workspace just for the cookie compliance so I could work on all of that 
isolated, but I could still make other changes unrelated to it and merge them into our main workspace without releasing all of the cookie compliance code because that work took a while to roll out. So in that way, it really is just like a Git branch in that it lets you keep that work isolated so that other stuff doesn't get held up, you know, risking the release of stuff that isn't ready. That's what workspaces are for at their heart. Um, to start with, just work in the default workspace and then add in the more complex, you know, new workspaces over time. You don't have to start with having three workspaces for different stuff if you don't need it. It's just there to help you if you do. Now, the next thing, I'm going to, actually, now that I'm, I'm looking at this menu, I have it pulled up in front of me. I'm going to work from the bottom up. We're going to skip templates for now. Templates are something that we, we can come back to at a later date. That gets into some more complicated stuff if you need down the road. Um, and I'm going to assume most of you, if you're starting out with this, you're probably not going to be ready to dive into something that uh, that high level. But then you have folders. What are, what are folders? Folders are incredibly simple. All it is is just a taxonomy system for use inside of Tag Manager, and it's used pretty much everywhere. So you can make folders for things like tracking tags. You can make folders for things like social media tags. You could make folders for performance tags, um, anything like that. Um, you can make a folder for uh, customer support tags. Maybe you have something like a live chat feature for your customer service site. Well, you can have those kind of siloed away. They're used on everything, basically. You can have anything in a folder. It's not a very complex type of structure. It's just an internal taxonomy that lets you categorize things to make them easier to sort, easier to filter, and see things that are connected. I will raise my hand and immediately admit I love folders, and I don't use them enough. I have lots and lots of unfiled items because it's... It's sort of an afterthought much of the time, but it is very useful when you need it. So I will encourage you to make use of those tag or those folders when you have that opportunity. But there is nothing more to it. If you click on folders, you'll have a list of unfiled items. You'll have a list of the folders that you've created. There'll be a big button that says new folder. And the only thing it's going to ask you is to give it a name. And so Make that name be whatever you need it to be to know what the stuff will be in there. And then that will be available to you when you make new stuff. New things like variables. So variables is sort of a good place to start at a very base level because by themselves, they don't do anything. They're used to empower triggers and tags. So getting kind of a fundamental understanding of how variables exist within the system will now serve us when we continue on to talk triggers and talk tags. There are two different sort of high-level types of triggers in the, or variables in the system. The first are the built-in variables. Built-in variables are exactly what they sound like. Tag Manager comes with the ability to just know a lot of things. So in this case, they usually come out of the box with all the page variables and an event variable. So page variables are things like the page URL, the page host name, the page path, the refer. For your utility stuff, you end up with events. Everything that happens on your site is an event, basically. Anything you can think of could be an event. So events are very important to the system, and you will use them for triggers very frequently. 
But what else could you have? Well, I mentioned earlier environments, if you go that far with it. Well, there's a utility variable called environment name that is just available to you if you turn it on. You can also know some things like your container ID. Um, you can create a random number generator all right there. Some of the ones that I find really helpful, I really like the error variables. These will pick up JavaScript errors and pass them through to Tag Manager. Why is that useful? Because you could actually turn Google Analytics into an error logger for you so that you can see when people are visiting your website which parts of your site are throwing errors. It's super cool. If you don't have access to a tool like Sumo Logic or <clears throat> or otherwise, that ability to know when your site is breaking, because then once it's in Google Analytics, you could set up alerts for it. You could do all kinds of things to digest what's going wrong on your site. So errors are very useful. Also clicks. The click grouping, I don't necessarily use all of them, but click classes is very useful. Click target is very useful and click text is very useful. Sometimes click URL depending on what you're trying to do. These are all, and, and everything I'm mentioning, these can all be turned on or off as you need. That keeps your system a little sleeker, a little more clean, and doesn't allow you to use something that you aren't prepared to use. So it's just, a, it's a, it's a clutter and organization thing in case you're wondering, well, why wouldn't I just turn all of these on? Well, because you don't need them. And if you have all of them turned on, it also, it's an overhead thing over time. Uh, besides clicks, another good one, forms. If you have form submissions on your site, I mostly just use the uh, form element and form classes for the most part. You can also get the ID, the target, the URL, and the text of it, which is like the inner text. Um, there, and, and without going line by line on all these, you can get history variables. You can get video variables. I think that mostly only works with YouTube, but it, it may work with some of the other providers. I don't know. I only use it with YouTube. You can get scrolling variables. They're super cool for tracking progress on a site, um, as well as, well as visibility. Visibility variables are a new one, um, and they, I assume, are using the Intersection Observer API to give you how what percent visible um, the elements are and what their on-screen duration is. I used these, these recently to create a tracking tag because we were wondering, we have a panel on a page at the very bottom of a page, and we were wondering... Does anybody see that? Are, you know, not just does anybody click on it, but are people even seeing it in order to click on it? And so by using that percent visible, I was able to say, and, and on-screen duration, I was able to say how many times, or I, the tag I built, let me put it that way, the tag I built would fire in a situation where my percent visible was 75% for at least two seconds. And so I counted that as, okay, that person saw that element. And so these are all ways to abstract uh, information from your site that Tag Manager is just ready to give you. You don't have to do anything except turn those on. But maybe you need something totally different. You could have a whole section of user-defined variables. And this is where it is sort of the sky is the limit. Um, and again, I'm just going to name off a few of these and why they're uh, why they're useful. But the list is huge, so you can do things like get the URL or the refer. Those are variables you can just create. 
You can get cookie values only if they're first party. You can get JavaScript variables from your site, from, from the console. You can get what are called data layer variables, which we'll talk about here in a few. Um, more than that, there's another deal with element visibility here. You can create constants. The constants are great for things like site IDs or partner IDs with services. You can create custom events. This is where, hey, you want to, do you want to make a, an event for when a modal screen is opened? Then do that and just give it a custom name, modal open, and you add it here. Um, you'll create analytic settings. So if you're going to do tracking, um, we'll talk about some of the most common tags here in just a few minutes. Um, but analytics settings, lookup tables or regex tables. Oh my God. So useful for determining things based on things like maybe a, a, a path on your site or maybe if you're managing multiple sites in one container using the domain as a means of determining, you know, an ID for something. I've used this for Google Analytics. The way I've used it is if my domain contains the words dev or stag or local, then it grabs the profile ID for my development Google Analytics account. And if the the domain is equal to our production site, then it uses our production ID. That way, our production analytics account does not get polluted with development and staging visits and events, especially when we're testing things. Um, one of the other big, big ones that you'll get into are JavaScript, or not JavaScript variables, but custom JavaScript. This is where things get super powerful with some of your tags. A custom JavaScript variable is just an anonymous function that you drop in that returns a value. And it can return literally anything you want. So for instance, if you want a tag that will tell you every time somebody clicks on a section of your site, you might have a click trigger. And when that trigger fires, it fires off a tag to send an event to Google Analytics. And you want to include the section heading. And so in your label, you would include that variable. And it's a custom JavaScript variable that would say, Hey, what element was just clicked? Go find the nearest H2 tag to that. That's kind of a ham-fisted example, but you can use that to just say, and you just write vanilla JavaScript, just like you would for anything on your normal site or anything anywhere else. And anything you can return with JavaScript, you can return as a value to a variable that way. It could be anything from how long the person has been on the page to, you know, like I say, labels or text that they're interacting with and everything in between. That is so useful. One area where I use a custom JavaScript variable is with a form abandonment listener. So as somebody uses a form, I have a piece of JavaScript running in Tag Manager that keeps track of what the last field was they interacted with. And if they leave the page before submitting that form, I have an on before unload event that fires in Tag Manager that uses that custom JavaScript to get the value of the last field they clicked in, and that gets logged as an abandon in Google Analytics so I can see, are people leaving because they get confused by a form field? Uh, this is great for debugging and things like that, but it's just one way you can use that custom JavaScript to go in there. There's no there's no built-in variable for like last interacted form field. So I made one and all it took was a little piece of JavaScript code that when you click a form element, 
it just saves a variable to to the date what we call the data layer um and again we'll talk about that here in just a second okay it's been a second let's talk about the data layer the data layer is something that exists when you put tag manager onto a page it's literally just a variable called data layer that's in javascript that is an array and everything that tag manager does gets pushed to that array so every time an event fires every time an action happens on the page it all ends up in the data layer and it changes over time and so there's a history piece to that data layer as well but you can also push your own stuff to it you can make variables out of thin air name them whatever you want and store them in the data layer if you need to use them later so like in this case i have a data layer variable called last form field and that variable exists and is there for me to use anytime i need it from a tag in this case my form abandonment lister my custom javascript variable pushes that value to the custom data layer variable. I know that maybe sounds a little uh, confused. What I'm going to do in the show notes, there's a brilliant dude. His name's Simo Ahava. I'm sure I've mentioned him before in the past. Um, he is one of the foremost uh, Google Tag Manager experts on the internet right now. He has a blog, literally just simoahava.com, and he's got a section called GTM Tips. And so if you go look at his site, he has tons and tons of tutorials. One of the brilliant things he does, I don't know how far back he goes, but when something changes in Tag Manager, at least with his recent and popular blog posts, he goes in and updates them too. So even older articles tend to have current or recent examples and stuff in them that reflect the current uh, state of Tag Manager. The, I, I can't imagine how much work he puts into that, but shout out to Simo. You, man, you're doing great work, and it is so helpful to so many people with Tag Manager. But I bring him up because he specifically has an article that shows you how to make a form abandonment listener with Tag Manager. So I will have that in the show notes so that you can go in there and refer to that. Seeing that in action, I think, would it will help you kind of understand the entire architecture of that complex sort of tag then. Um, so data layer, very important. Check it out. Custom JavaScript, very important. JavaScript variables, very important. These things are all super useful. Go check into lookup tables and regex tables. You'll use all of these things if you really start getting in the tag manager and they will be the most useful things straight out of the gate. Okay. I'm talking a lot and very fast. Hold on. I need to re-up my rum and coke. Remember? I always love that sound. That sound is almost as good as pulling the cork off a bottle of scotch, but not quite. Ooh. Mm, rummy. Ooh. Okay. I'm ready to go. Aha. All right. So that's, that is variables. Um, now we need to talk triggers. Uh, talking triggers. What is a trigger? Well, a trigger is exactly what it sounds like. It's like, it's a tripwire. Think of it kind of like that, right? It's something that happens. And by themselves, triggers do nothing. Triggers only exist to match a condition. And then it's up to you to say what happens when that condition is matched. So by default, just like our variables, Tag Manager says, hey, 
we have a bunch of different things that you can know. And by picking one of them, well, we'll start doing something because of it. Real common ones, page view. Hey, what do you want to have happen when a page view happens? Well, I don't know. Let's send the page view to Google Analytics, for instance. Um, maybe when you have a click on something, well, I want to know when someone clicks a link and a specific type of link, well, that's, that is a trigger you can pick. Um, you can do things with user engagement. Again, this element visibility piece has been added. You can have things like scroll depth. You can have interactions with YouTube videos. These are all very important. And if you use them, you'll probably be turning on the associated variables so that you can get those values. They also have custom events. This ties into the, like the data layer variable stuff usually. Um, history change, which is important if you're using something like a single page app, for instance. Um, so like if maybe pages, if you, if your page itself doesn't refresh, the history change trigger can be really useful. Um, there's the JavaScript error trigger, of course, that uh, I mentioned. And then one more that is a little advanced, but probably will make perfect sense is a trigger group. And so a trigger group lets you sort of define things like when multiple things happen. In my case, I use trigger groups a lot for, I mean, I keep bringing the cookie compliance. Because when we have a page view on our European sites, well, I can't just send the Google Analytics view because if the user has not accepted our cookies, well, I can't turn on Google Analytics. So what I do is I make a trigger group, which is one part page view and one part have they accepted the particular cookie group for our performance tags. So those are two individual triggers, but I put them together in a trigger group. Most of the time, your triggers will probably be one-dimensional, though. But the trigger groups can be useful in those instances. Let's say, for instance, you wanted to just track certain link clicks. Well, all you have to do is select click just links. There's, there's two types, just links or all elements. You can say, you know what, I don't need every single click. I only want some of the link clicks. And then you'll be presented with a bunch of options. And you can add in all the conditions that you need. It's worth noting, when you add conditions to the trigger, it is an all type of situation. If you add three conditions, all three conditions have to match. It is not an or situation. This is one reason why the trigger groups are useful as well. Because the other part of this is, for instance, I said I use my trigger group to say, is it a page view? And have they accepted my particular cookie group? Now, I could, on my individual tag, or I'm sorry, my individual trigger, my, my click trigger, I could also add those as conditions. But then if I have to change something, I have to change it on every single one of my triggers instead of having one group that is just referenced from all of those triggers. So if, for instance, let's say we changed our cookie compliance tool, and so the way they track the group, you know, the performance cookie group changes. Well, I don't have to change 30 triggers. I just change the one trigger in the trigger group. So it's an abstraction. Think of it that way. So you're, you may run in here and start setting up these triggers, and you might think, well, why would I use a group? That's the reason why, if you need to abstract settings like that, that might change frequently.
But some of the things that you can set as conditions, for instance, are the page host name or the page URL. Basically, all of those variables that you've turned on or off in the variable menu. So you might say something like, oh, I only want to track some clicks. Maybe I'm, I'm creating a trigger that is for downloads. So I might say something like, well, I need the page URL to contain PDF. Or I could say the page URL should match regex, PDF, or docx, or zip. You know, non-HTML pages, basically. I can give it all kinds because this is, it's a drop down. So contains is a simple, you know, simple contains. You can do equals, starts with, ends with. Starts with and ends with can be good for paths. You know, you want to know everything that's happening in one section of the site. So you might just do a starts with. But then you can do things like matches a CSS selector, matches regex, doesn't equal, doesn't contain, um, less than, equal to, greater than. You have all of these options just like you do in many other types of applications. And you can use that to match any variable or anything that you are tracking in the system to make that trigger fire in unique circumstances. You could just say all link clicks. That's an option. That's literally one of the radio buttons. All link clicks or some link clicks. If you say all, then it's going to happen on all. But as I mentioned before, there is an overhead to doing that. So maybe you don't, maybe you only care about menu links. Maybe you only care about footer links. And so using some link clicks, um, Example, let's do what I just said, footer link clicks, right? So to do a trigger that only fires on footer link clicks, I would say the, uh, we would say our, our click class must contain footer, for instance. Um, it's things like that so that, hey, if it matches that CSS selector or the class, class list contains a certain element, um, then that's that's where a click element that's I can do it that way. If you have click element turned on as a variable, you can say the click element must match the CSS selector footer, for instance. And now that trigger will only fire off when something is clicked in your footer. Um, that's the way to think about these triggers. Um, it's really helpful to go in and look at the list that they have in there. Um, they have, for instance, one that is consent initialization. That's sort of like the zero item on the stack. So that's a tag you would, or I'm sorry, that is a, a trigger type that you would use only in situations where like you won't need to do something like cookie compliance, something that needs to happen first and foremost before anything else. So they give you that consent initialization option in the stack. They give you page view, but they also give you DOM ready and window loaded. So if you want to change the order of things, um, I actually really like the window loaded option over the page view option because it helps prevent Tag Manager from slowing down the loading of a page. So if you've got tags that fire on page view, that fires really high up in the priority order. And so if you're doing a lot of stuff, it can slow down the loading of your page while it's running all of these uh, page view items. Windows loaded will wait until then. Um, the custom events, super useful. Again, I, I mentioned uh, having an, a form abandonment listener. I also have a form success item. Um, 
our forms don't leave the page. They just take away the form and show you a thank you message in their place. And so nothing on the page or the page URL, nothing changes there. So when our forms submit, all I do is push an event name to the data layer. And that event name is lead form submit success. And I have a trigger that says, hey, when you see this event show up in the in the list of events, then you need to know to do something like send a Google Analytics event that says, hey, a lead form success just happened. Um, hey, a, uh, we were just using, uh, uh, we use this for LinkedIn, conversion tracking, right? You don't want to track a conversion before the successful thing has happened. So like them landing on the page is not necessarily the conversion submitting the form is. Or if you're an e-com, maybe adding something to the cart is the conversion. So you create a custom event for add to cart, things like that. Those are where those custom events really come in handy. So those are triggers. That's what triggers are there for. Triggers make something happen based on a definition that you provide. And keep in mind, variables and triggers both have a naming scheme. You can name them however you want, and you can put them in folders. I do personally like naming all of these things with like a prefix or an acronym. Like I'll use GA4 to indicate Google Analytics 4. I'll use LI or FB for LinkedIn or Facebook, things like that, because I'll have something like a tracking pixel. Well, lots of services have tracking pixels. Well, this is the LI tracking pixel. So I can kind of divide these up. Okay, so now it gets real. We get to the, the sort of peak of the mountain, the top of the thing. We put it all together with tags. Tags are where the meat and potato of Tag Manager happen, and I'm sorry it took us so long to get here, but it's important to know the foundational pieces before you dive in. So what can we do with tags? So one of the very first tags you're likely to create is a Google Analytics tag. Trag? Did I say trag? Am I having too much rum and coke? I am not, I swear. Tag. Maybe I said tag, and I thought I said trag. Uh-oh. Now I'm confusing myself. Anyway, Google Analytics tag. So the whole point in Tag Manager is you put the Tag Manager code in your template and nothing else. You don't put Google Analytics code in your header anymore. You don't manually add any of your Facebook code or any of your remarketing tags or anything like that. You add one code for just the Tag Manager stuff, and then everything else goes in Tag Manager. I will say, if you are using WordPress, um, I have a little chunk of code that I'll throw in a gist and I'll, I'll share in the show notes that I use. There are two hooks. You've got WP Head and then you've got WP Body Open. And what I do is I have two little functions that I just add to those hooks that includes my Tag Manager code automatically in my themes. And then I set the the ID of the container as a constant in the theme. And you could, of course, then, you know, make that be variable based on a dev site or, or whatever. You could add the environmental variables. I mentioned that environments are a thing. You could code all that in to the product um, or in whatever it is you're building so that based on where your site is hosted or coming up, it will automatically change that. Um, I'll share that in case it's useful for anybody and also comes to mind that that might actually be a, a fairly useful maybe little plugin or something I might write um, in order to facilitate that a little easier so you don't have to manage it with, you know, raw code. 
Anyway, tags. So you're going to make a Google Analytics tag. It's one of the first things you do. You set up a variable. In uh, in analytics, you create your uh, analytics settings variable. Now, I will caution you. It's different between Universal Analytics and GA4 Analytics. So if you're using Universal Analytics versus GA4, you will need your analytics settings variable if you're going to use Universal Analytics. If you're using GA4, everything goes into the GA4 tag because it basically sort of stays on um, for then anything else you want to do in terms of like event tracking or things like that. And in fact, when you go to make a new tag, in the sidebar, one of the options you have is for a GA4 configuration or GA4 event. And when you set up the configuration, you can also have it send a page view at the same time. So that's why you no longer need that settings variable unless you want it for some reason. Now, any of these fields can also take variables. So for instance, if you're setting up a GA4 uh, uh, tag, you have a field for measurement ID, and you could type your ID straight into that field. But next to the field is a little Lego block picture, and those Lego blocks are designed to help you put variables in there. So maybe what you do is you have a lookup table with your main site and your dev site and your staging site. And for your dev and staging site, maybe you have a measurement ID for a development uh, stream or for your production site, you have a different stream ID. And so you can put that variable into your measurement ID. And what you do with something like a lookup table variable is you say, hey, when you go to parse this out, you're going to look for something. In this case, page host name. And then it's going to see which page host name matches up to which value and return that. So that's how those variables work in this kind of context. You also, for any type of tag that is natively supported in Tag Manager, you have all kinds of additional options. So for instance, you'll be given a list, a sort of a repeater field for fields that you might want to set for your GA4 configuration. If you're sending something like content groups or things like that, you can create custom properties and include those with the tag. You can also then start things like advanced settings. Now, these tend to be the same throughout all your tags to do things like control tag firing. Um, is it something that only happens once on a page load or is it something that could happen multiple times? Um, you can order, you can use tag sequencing, um, to help control which order things fire. And so there's all of these different little ways you can control the flow of events if they are dependent upon other things. One new thing, and it's still in beta um, as of the time I'm recording this, is you can use consent settings. Now, these are similar to your cookie-compliance stuff, depending on if you're using a cookie tool or require it. Google has consent checks that it automatically supports. These are ad storage and analytic storage. And if you're using those native features with either a compliance tool or something you built, you can automatically on the tag just say, oh yeah, ad storage has to be turned on. Um, you know, we require this or we require additional consent or something like that. So that's all in there. That gets a little more advanced. I'm not going to worry too much about the details on it for now. Just worry about making the tag 
fire. So in this case, for GA4, you just put in your measurement ID, you save it. Um, you'll or Don't save it yet, I'm sorry. You could save it. But then you need to add your trigger. And so when you click on trigger, you're going to get a list of everything that you have. And so you would take your page view or your Windows loaded trigger and click on it and it adds it in. Then you can save it and boom, you're off and running. Um, something else, we've made these changes, we've saved these changes, but maybe we want to make sure they work before we push them out. There is a preview mode. And so after you save your tag, you get taken back to your dashboard. And in the upper right corner, there's a button that says preview. And you're going to click it. It's going to take you to a new page, a new tab that's going to say, hey, where are we going? And so you're going to type in your page URL. You're going to hit connect. And it's going to open up that page in another tab. And in the corner, you're going to see a little badge that says, you know, tag manager is running. And in the previous tab, it's going to list out every tag that has fired and you can watch as those fire. And then on the left-hand side, it's going to show you every event tag manager is picking up, whether or not it's doing anything. And you can go through it like a timeline. You can click at it. If you have like on some of my containers, you'll see 20 events fire, you know, by the time the page is loaded and you could click on, you know, the 17th one and see what happened at that time. What were your variable values? What were the data layer values? You can you can debug this at a really granular level to see, well, my tag's not firing. Why, why not? Well, you can click your tag, see, okay, well, here was the trigger condition I set. Well, what was the value of that trigger condition at that moment in time? And so you can go back into your data layer or your variables or whichever one you need to look at and see, oh, I see there was a typo in this or, oh, this thing didn't change the way I thought it did. So that preview mode is integral, in my opinion, to making sure you're doing things correctly. And it's a great way to debug stuff before you go through and publish it. Now, before we get off of this, I want, do want to run through. I mentioned there are a lot of natively supported tags. Some of these are real straightforward things like analytics, um, Google ads, if you're using those. Um, a good one. Uh, that we can do a whole other episode on is Google Optimize. If you run A-B tests, they have a native tag to support Google Optimize on your sites. Um, but beyond there, if you scroll down, you get into a huge list of so much more. You can throw in BizRate stuff, Crazy Egg, if you're using that for things like your uh, your heat maps and, and whatnot. Um, there's things like the old, old classic Google Analytics, if you still haven't upgraded Hotjar, LinkedIn has one in here. You just plug the partner ID in and you're good to go with an insights tag. Um, this list, it's certainly not all inclusive. You know, yeah, they have Shareholic, but they don't have Facebook. They do have Twitter, <laughs> but they've, they're, you know, it's picky uh, what they do and don't have in there. And if they don't have what you need, they have two more tags. You can do a custom image tag which is perfect for all of your tracking pixels or a custom HTML tag and custom HTML does exactly what it says. You put in some HTML code there and it puts it on the page. You could literally just hello world it, put in hello world, save it, tell it to fire on every page. And at the very top of every page, you're going to see a hello world injected into it. Uh, 
where it's really useful is for including things like custom script tags. So if you're using, let's say, I, you know, I mentioned the Facebook isn't in that list. So if you need to put in a Facebook event tracker, the custom HTML tag is the perfect way to do that. You just drop the script tag in there just as they give it to you in the uh, Google or Facebook ads back in and you're done. Um, and you can do that with virtually anything. You can do it to include iframes. You can do it to include your tracking pixels. But like I said, there is a custom image tag that you can use um, just for that. Uh, this is great for all of those like third party scripts that, you know, you might bring in. If you use Olark, for instance, for like live chat, well, don't bake that into your theme. Just create an Olark tag. They give you that little line of JavaScript and you just drop it on the page in a custom HTML tag and boom, your live chat just turns on for the site. Um, so this gives you a very powerful way to control what does and doesn't end up on your site and do it in a way that requires no developer intervention, um, depending on how you want to authorize people to publish stuff for your containers. Um, we make heavy usage of the custom HTML tag. That That is one that definitely gets used a whole lot. Uh, to give you just an example, I'm using custom HTML for things like ad roll segment tracking for uh, our Facebook lead tracking and page tracking. That form abandonment listener I mentioned before, that's a custom HTML tag. Um, LinkedIn autofill, we created a tag that uses LinkedIn autofills for forms. That's a custom tag. The, those custom HTML tags can literally be virtually anything you want. Um, I would say probably 80% of the tags I create are either custom HTML or Google Analytics. One of those two almost always. Uh, so those are ones to get in and learn very early on to figure out, is it going to be useful? Does it do what you need it to? Um, and do you have you know the custom stuff that you're trying to get in to these systems? So that's Google Tag Manager in under an hour. I do have a talk I gave at a conference several years back. It's a little old, but it still holds up as far as the basics of all of this stuff. I'm going to include that. There's even a video of it. If I can find it um, at the time I'm doing this, I'm pretty sure I have audio and the slide deck um, synchronized. And so I'll either include that or I'll include the full uh, the full presentation video if, if that does in fact still exist. Um, that's a good place to go to walk through. I actually show you how to build the form abandonment listener um, if my memory is correct on that. Um, Tag Manager is super useful. It saves, once you're done with all this, you start learning things like, hey, it saves versions. Upper right-hand corner, after you've previewed, you hit submit. It's going to ask you why. Just like with Git, you're going to give it a reason. You know, what did you add or take out or whatever? You're going to submit it. It's going to publish it, and it's going to save a version. So you can go back through your history of over time and see, oh, yeah, we messed something up. I need to go back and preview that old version, or I need to export it for something else because I'm making another site just like it. Versions are super useful. Those environments become super useful. If you start deploying this at scale, those templates start to factor in. As you work in different workspaces, the dashboard will tell you how many things have you added, how many things have you deleted, how many things have you modified. You can compare those between workspaces. You can merge one workspace into another workspace. 
Tag Manager is easily one of my favorite and most heavily used tools in web development anymore because of how much I can do with it and how much time it saves in the deployment of features, functionality, and especially tracking. Um, and not creepy tracking, not like, I don't mean to say that like, oh God, we're, you know, trying to follow everything you're doing. I'm just like normal, you know, normal analytics type stuff that you need to do. You want to know how many people are clicking on things. Are they seeing stuff? Are they staying on your site? Okay. Once you know that, you can start doing all of these different triggers and all these different tags. You can change content on pages. You can do a myriad of things when you start to know this information and you start figuring out how to swap it around. And then that other advantage being if you work on a larger team, you can offload some of that responsibility and say, you know what, you all can edit stuff, you can put it in, but I have to publish it. So they still have the power to go make their own workspace and add their own tags. If you have teams that work across each other a little bit, but one team owns their container and the other team owns theirs, well, you can give each other edit permissions, but they retain publish permissions. So go in there, sit down and kind of walk through it the way I described. I'm going to give you some tutorials from SEMO. I'm going to include my stuff in there. I'm going to give you those examples of my tag manager uh, functions for WordPress to include them and sit back and just start learning. Like anything, you can't really break this. Put it on your site, preview it. If it's not working, you're not hurting anything. Um, if it is working, you're giving yourself a way to simplify your stacks and simplify your JavaScript. No more do we have to bake in like JavaScript events and, and pushes to Google Analytics. That used to be sort of that that modus operandi that we would have to bake in all of these GA pushes into our JavaScript in order to track custom events and things. Now we just push it to the, the data layer and you don't even have to worry about those libraries being there because if for some reason analytics isn't on or if they've blocked the script or whatever, stuff is getting pushed to that data layer and it's not throwing errors. It's just not doing anything. Um, so you're not hurting anything through that process. So I hope that this was useful. I hope this exposes everybody to kind of a new tool and something they might be able to use down the road for some of their projects. And as always, I'm happy to help out. I'm happy to offer suggestions. Um, and like I say, all of those resources will get you started in an instant. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining me this week. I know this was a little more different, but I hope you had fun with it. Once in a while, we need a change of pace, and this was a pretty good opportunity. And I got to tackle something that I really enjoy. Um, I do want to tell you, if you want to talk about this or have any questions or want to learn more, feel free to come chat with us at Discord. I'm on Discord at drunkenux.com slash Discord. You're always welcome to drop something in there. Or leave us a voicemail on our line. That's 620 620- 712-2119. That's 620-712-2119. Either one of those will get a message to me, to, to Aaron. We'll parse those out. We'll either answer them in chat or I'll have it featured on an upcoming episode. If you are enjoying the podcast, please follow us on Twitter or Facebook. It is slash Drunken UX. You can also check us out on Instagram at slash Drunken UX podcast. If you are enjoying the show and want to show your support for us, we do have a Patreon. It's at drunkenux.com slash support. Back us at any level. We appreciate the heck out of it. We'll give you a shout out on air, send you a couple little trinkety kind of things. But most importantly, then you know that we know that you know that we know. I don't know. What did we know? Um, I, I do know 
I do know. Don't know? Donut? Taking that too far. I'm too far down the uh, the rabbit hole on that. As always, thanks for joining us. If you want to hear about what is coming up, join us anytime. We have some guests that are going to be uh, on the show here soon that I think you're all going to really, really enjoy. We're getting them scheduled right now. If you know anybody that would like to be on the show or you would like to share something that you're building or doing or passionate about, we always would love to hear from you all. These are the ways that we expand our interactions and our experiences. This industry is huge. Uh, we talk a lot about, you know, the, the sense of imposter syndrome and what comes with that. And you never have to feel like you don't know enough because we're all still learning and, and tools like Tag Manager are just one more wrench in the box. And you don't have to know how every wrench works. Um, so I hope that's useful to you. I hope that uh, you find something you're passionate about, whether that's in design, whether that's in development, um, in any case. With that, I only have one thing left to say. I'm really just trying to run out the clock because it's time for me to go keep my personas close and my users closer. We will see you next time. Aaron will be back with us with another other, other topic.